If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, and I'll get, I hope you get as excited as you can for this. Open up with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Amen. We get excited about the word here at The View because it's God's word that changes lives. Amen? And it's okay to make noise in church. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Old Testament. In my Bible, it's page 750. I don't know what page it is for you. That doesn't help for you. For some of you, it does. Ecclesiastes comes right after Proverbs. It was written by Solomon. It's considered more of the wisdom literature in the Bible. And that's where we're going to land tonight, but I have a lot of cross-references that I want to give you as well. Now, if you're taking notes, let me tell you where we've been the last uh, two weeks. So we kicked off this series, It's Not About Me, with the idea that the Christian life is so much greater than what society thinks it is, what culture thinks it is. The Christian life really is about living for the Lord and living with Him deeply and closely. And so the first week we talked about the cross, Right? In Adriana's baptism a moment ago, we talked about how Jesus paid the greatest penalty. If you remember that week, he, he brings the greatest intimacy. And through the cross, we experience the greatest victory. Right? Like that established our whole series. Galatians 2.20, which says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That is our verse for the series. Galatians 2.20. And then last week, we talked about a big issue, especially for 18 to 25 years old, and that's career. How many of you want to have a career one day? Amen, right? Most of us are working towards some form of a career or work purpose. There's something we are working towards. And we talked last week about what it means to live out a godly career, right? Well, tonight you can see the title. If you take a note, I want you to write this down. It's not just a church service. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, the title tonight, we're building on the same idea of it's not just. And tonight, it's not just a church service. Now, I don't know what your background is. I know mine. I don't know yours. I'm not going to pretend to. But for me, uh, I left the church right before ninth grade, right? I uh, was involved in church uh, my parents will tell you I didn't like it, and so I wanted to stop going completely. Which also, side note, we've been celebrating because my mom's here every week. She's here. Can we make some noise for my mom? Amen. Come on. Yeah, we're celebrating. And also, I'm really pumped. I've been telling you it's going to happen, but my dad's here tonight. Come on. We make some noise? Come on, dad. Yeah. Come on. Pops is in the building tonight. Come on. Listen, if you need uh, your car worked on, let us know. We're going to get you hooked up. Amen. Listen, my dad's here. My parents are incredible. I love them to death. But they'll tell you that when I got... Towards the ninth grade, I was very much like, hey, I'm, I'm done with this church thing, right, Fernando? Like, I was like, hey, I don't want any part of it. And here's why. Like, very quickly, I began to not like it because of some of the stereotypes, right? I hated the term Sunday school. I hate that term. Listen, I don't want to, you know, blaspheme up here, but I hate when people call it Sunday school. It's just a preference thing, okay? There's nothing wrong with it. If your family does it, it's fine. I'm not hating on you, all right? But Sunday school, to me, when I was growing up, I had school Monday to Friday. I don't need school on Sunday, okay? I'll just be honest with you. I'm not going for Sunday school, right? I heard that, and I was like, I, that's, I don't want that. We go to church, and everybody's what? Usually dressed up. God bless you, dressed up. Nice, right? Like ties and coats, which is fine. Like, that's perfectly fine in the business world and everything. But for me, growing up, I was like, okay, everybody's really proper acting. Everybody has that really good etiquette, right? And, and I would get there and just immediately not fit in, right? You know, I'm just bouncing off the wall, born in a china shop or, or quiet or however you may be. Like, I just did not fit in when I came to church. And then obviously I've shared this story before, but when I went to the youth group, and I'll share it very briefly, but there were those who were leading worship on stage, 
right? And I would go and I would lead, I would worship, and they would have their hands up, and they would be doing all the, all the church things, which, praise the Lord, we put our hands up, but they would come off the stage, and right after the service, they would begin to gossip, right? And I saw that as a young, young person trying to figure out what Christianity is all about. And for me, I was like, okay, <clears throat> here's what I know. I don't like Sunday school. I don't like dressing nice and acting proper. And some of the people I've met in church aren't really as nice and as real as the people I've met in my neighborhood. And for me, that was enough to get to the point where I would say, hey, here's my perception of church. It's full of hypocrites, it's too proper, and it's just a service. I don't want to be a part of it. And you know what? I'm not the only one in the room who has that experience. Praise God if you don't. Like if you have been in church and God has used it and you've had a great experience all the way through, then praise the Lord. Like seriously, if you don't have any stereotypes, you fight, then praise the Lord. But I have, and a lot of us in this room have, and our culture has. The things that we often believe about church aren't actually true. In fact, I will go so far as to say, and I don't want to step on toes, but we're going to eventually. A lot of the misconceptions we have about church don't even come from our experiences. They come from what we've heard of others' experiences. Be honest. Like we hear our friends say something about church or about a Christian or about the view or about the BCM or Young Life. I mean, you pick. It doesn't matter. You hear somebody say something immediately like you're like, well, that's my friend, so I'm going to adopt that too. Yeah, the view's weird, right? And immediately you just have this whole idea that the view is this weird place that you're not supposed to go or the BCM is weird or Bellevue is weird or Hope is weird. I mean, pick. It doesn't matter. We, we hear things about church and we just latch onto it sometimes, right? And what I want to do tonight is I, I don't want to cover all that there is to us being the church. That would be a series. But tonight I want to nail down a few key things that you and I have to understand if we're going to come and worship the Lord and make it not about us. Amen? So what's your perception when it comes to church, when it comes to gathering? You hear people emphasize a lot that we are the church. And scripturally, that is absolutely true. We are the church. God's people are his church. And you hear that emphasized a lot in Christian culture, yet there's so many people who hear church and still only think of a service. I mean, I'm telling you guys, like I've, I've watched Christian culture. I don't like it, but I watch it. And no matter how many times you put it on a t-shirt, we are the church. No matter how many times you do that, still in our minds, we relegate it to an hour a week instead of living it out every single day. Why is that? Because we fall into this routine and this and this this habit of just going through the motions. Now, for me, at 21 years old, I realized that church is not a service, right? A service is a part of it. We are gathered, and there's an order, and there's time slots, and things need to happen, and I need to get you out of here at a decent time, right? And we can't just be, like, up here all night long. Some of you guys are like, I got to go. But it's so much more than a service. The first time I stepped into The View at 21 years old, I had been a believer for a week, and when I came to The View, this was the first time I truly experienced God inside a religious place. And the reason I experienced God that night is because of what we did a few minutes ago, which is so cool. I prayed with a group of people that I didn't know. And let me tell you something. We prayed out loud, and it was terrifying. When the pastor said it, I hated it. I barely knew how to talk to people. I certainly don't know how to talk to God in front of people. I barely know how to talk to God by myself. Now you're telling me others are going to be listening about what I'm going to say to God. My mind was just exploding. I was like, I don't know how to do this. Do I talk to them? Do I talk to God? How do I do this? And it was incredible because I sat there with this group of people that I didn't even know who were definitely judging me because I had on a big leather jacket. <laughs> and I saw them give real prayer requests. 
like real things. Like, hey, here, my parents are going through a divorce. Can y'all pray for my family? And I'm sitting there like, man, I'm like, do they want to hear my stuff? You know what I mean? When they start sharing their baggage, I'm like, are they looking for mine? <laughs> like, you don't get that anywhere else in the world. My, the people I was working with were not asking me my baggage stuff. And we started talking about how we could really pray for each other. And I remember saying my request that night and then praying over it. And it was, for me, inside of a religious place, a college ministry, I experienced the presence of God. Because once you gather in Christ's name and begin to pray with each other, what happens? God's spirit starts moving. Amen? And I experienced the Lord. And I pray that tonight you experience the Lord, that you would not come here and go through the motions of a service and check in, check out, clock in, clock out, but that you would be here and experience a movement of the Holy Spirit of God that can only be attributed to the Lord. And that's what we're here tonight. Now, as we look at this, I want you to write a word down in your notes. And it's the word that we are going to really emphasize all night long, and that is sacred. As we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and see what Solomon has to say, as he talks about God's presence, I want you to understand very clearly the word sacred. I'm going to define it after we read, but we're going to talk about what it means when God ordains something as sacred, when God says something is sacred. How does that impact our lives in 2023? And so look with me. Let's look at Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Verse 1. It says this in the Old Testament tonight. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. Do not be hasty to speak and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Isn't that humbling? My goodness. Let's read it again. God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Verse 3, just as dreams accompany much labor, so also a fool's voice comes with many words. Here's my main point tonight, and it's just one point. God is not in a rush. Why are you? And we're going to pick this apart. God is not in a rush, why are you? When it comes to a service, God is not in a rush, why are we? When it comes to our time with him, God is not in a rush, why are we? When it comes to prayer, God is not in a rush, why am I? When it comes to your future, God is not in a rush, why are you? When it came to the ministry of Jesus, God was not in a rush, why are we? Jesus was not in a rush. And so the main point, God is not in a rush. Why are you? Now, this word sacred, Solomon, the very first thing he says is guard your steps when you go to the house of God. There is something sacred that our human minds even don't understand when it comes to the presence of God, the house of the Lord, to draw near to the Lord. Now, sacred means this. Write this down. Sacred means to be holy and to be set apart, right? Like to be holy and to be set apart. Now let's think Old Testament and New Testament here about what we see sacred in the Bible because that's a lot different, right? It's one thing to say something special or unique, but sacred means holy and set apart. It has a connotation to it that there is something supernatural there. Now when you look in the Old Testament, 
Uzzah dies immediately when he tries to grab the Ark of the Covenant when it begins to fall. And when you read that text, right, some of you may be familiar with that, some of you aren't, I want you to write this reference down. That's, first, that's 2 Samuel chapter 6. When he reaches out to grab the Ark of the Covenant, right, if you don't know what I'm saying, believe me, you'll get the picture of it. If you do know, he reaches out to try to catch the Ark of the Covenant and he's killed immediately. Why? God has said that that is sacred, that is holy. No one is to touch it and he dies. God forbid anybody from touching the ark. You think about King Saul's sacrifice that cost him the kingdom, right? I'll tell you that reference is 1 Samuel 13. I pray that you go back and read these this week. These will come up in life groups. King Saul, right, he makes a sacrifice. He goes against God's command, and the kingdom is torn from him, right? He goes against that which God has said sacred. Many of us, right, when we were shouting out answers a couple weeks ago, kept saying Moses, right? We kept saying, man, Moses. Like, where do we see a calling, right? Moses. Well, Moses never entered the promised land, remember, right? He led them there, but he never entered. Why? Because he broke God's command. He struck the rock instead of talking to it, right? That references Numbers chapter 20. God had said that something was sacred, his word, his command, and Moses went against that, and the consequences were severe. Moses didn't enter the promised land. He saw it with his eyes, but he never entered. And then you talk about the New Testament in Acts chapter 5, where Ananias, when they lie about what they've donated to the church, and they're killed immediately. That's in the New Testament. <laughs> and they die. Right, like there are things in scripture that show us like God's word is sacred. God's commands are sacred. There are things in the Old Testament and the New Testament that are set apart for us to have reverence for. And when we don't show the reference that God is calling us to have, that there are severe consequences to that. Now you take that and you think about our world today. Because we as people, especially 18 to 25 years old, we often don't understand what it means for something to be sacred to God. All right, like in that video, Goose talks about it. Like, what's popular in our culture? You. Me. Not actually. <laughs> but like you and your desires and your dreams and whatever you want. Your flesh is popular. Like, that's what our culture emphasizes. We live in a human-centered culture. It's no wonder we can't grasp the understanding of something being sacred by God. Because when we live in a human-centered culture, that means we are making ourselves out to be the highest authority, which means you and I dictate what is sacred and what's not. You and I dictate what, what is right and what is wrong. And let me tell you, if humans are deciding ultimately what is right and wrong, we're in a bad place because God has given his word. He is a higher authority. He is a higher being than you. He is perfect in every way. He created you. He loves you. He cares for you so deeply. So when it comes to God's name, that's why we take it in vain. Let me get real practical, right? We're not talking about the Ark of the Covenant, but we're talking about God's name. God has said, don't take his name in vain. But we take God's name in vain. That is a lack of reverence our culture has for the name of Jesus and the name of God. That on your college campus, even believers, the, the biggest way you'll hear God's name is taken in vain. One time we said here from this stage, we said, don't ever mention God's name if you don't have reference for God's name. Right? Like we take God's name and we don't treat it as sacred. We do whatever with it. Or let me tell you, we might not be walking around saying cuss words to God's name, but we put God on things that are not necessarily of God. Right? Well, God told me to do this. Did he? 
Do you know? Because that is a form of taking the Lord's name in vain. To say that I am doing something because God told me to, but you don't know if he really told you to. That's a lack of reverence for God's name. I want to give you this clear picture, right? Like, think about prayer. There's a lot of times we use prayer just to transition between things, right? We transition from one thing to another, so we need to pray. We got food here before, so we need to say a quick prayer, right? Like, God, thank you for this food. Amen. Like, we transition with prayer. Think about worship. Like tonight we're talking about a church service. Do you remember any of the lyrics we sang a few minutes ago? Some of you are like, Jesus. <laughs> Do you ever think about what you're singing? Like when you're here or when you're in church and when your hands are high or when you're sitting there and you're reading the lyrics and you're worshiping, you're singing those words, do you think about what's coming out of your mouth? Because Solomon says, be careful with your words. A fool has many words. But like we sang this song, like you can light it up. Like do you stop and think about what it means for God to be the God of revival, that he can light it up, right? There's one thing in my notes. We are 93 million miles away from the sun. You can't even stare directly into the sun. I can't stare directly into the sun. And yet we have the opportunity to have a personal relationship with the God who shines brighter than the sun in our sky. Isaiah, I'm skipping ahead here, so give me a moment. Isaiah 6.2 tells us this about the angels, that they cover themselves with their wings when they're in God's presence, yet you and I are literally a member of his body. Does that ever rock you to your core to where when you begin to worship, you're like, man, like I am in awe of what I'm singing. Like, yes, God can light it up. Why can't he light up this world? Because he's brighter than the sun. He created the sun. He put it right there. Or do we just come in and we just kind of, you can light it up. God of revival. Oh, she Snapchatted me back. You can light it up. What are we eating tonight? Like, do we have a reference for the worship? Or do we just kind of go through the motions and sing the words? Prayer. Oh, man. You talk about a reverence for prayer. Asking will be given. Seeking you will find. Knocking will be opened. Jesus told us, like, on the other side of, of prayer, it's blessings upon blessings upon blessings. And yet, prayer is such an afterthought in our everyday life, is it not? I'm in the same boat with you. I'm right there. I'll put two hands up. You can't hear me. But I'm telling you, prayer, it becomes an afterthought so quickly because of a lack of of reverence for the Lord. And I think the big reason why is because we're in such a rush. Like we talked about career last night, and I wanted to, last week, and I wanted to build on that idea of your career and your future, and I didn't know how God was really going to do it. And when he led me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, I really was excited because I realized he was going to build on last week, and that's because we're not just in a rush with our career, we're in a rush with everything. Like we are in a rush with our day because we're so fixated on tomorrow, Elijah, that we lose today because we're worried about tomorrow. If we lose a day from worrying about tomorrow, you will always lose sight of how good God is when you're worried and anxious about the things in this world. If you can lose a day, you can lose sight of God. And we lose it. That quick, we're worried about our future. We're in a rush. We're worried about marriage. We're in a rush. We're worried about finances. We're in a rush. We want answers from God. We're in a rush. And when you rush, you miss how sacred today is. And you miss how sacred God's presence is. Now, when it comes to the church specifically, 
God says his people are sacred and set apart. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 29 to 30 says this, For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, his own flesh. Look at this, since we are members of his body. It goes on to say in Ephesians 5, verse 32, Paul says, This mystery is profound, but God bless you. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. There is no greater honor than being a part of God's church. When was the last time you walked into a worship service awestruck that you were a part of God's church? When's the last time you and I walked into a church service in awe of who God was, marveling at his character, realizing that he shines brighter than everything in our world? It is sacred to be a part of God's church because that means Christ has set us apart for something special, but we miss it because we're in a rush. We're thinking about where we got to go from here. We're thinking about what we have going on after this, and we're in a rush, and we miss how great and how precious it is to have a Bible, to have salvation, to have other people our age who are chasing after the Lord like we are trying to, how sacred and special it is to even be gathered here. Guys, you are at a midweek worship service that's a part of a larger church as a whole, but this worship service happens every Monday night so that you and I can gather with other people our age and our season of life, whether you're in school or working or whatever, so that you can hear a word that's specific to your season of life. Guys, like, it's not about the view, but the fact that we have a midweek service that is specific to your season of life. Like you are here, and it's not about me. There are better preachers out there. There's a lot of people who can preach the gospel better than I can, but they can't preach a better gospel than I can, amen? Listen, you hear the word preached directly to your season of life. If you are under the age of 25, this applies so specifically to you. Do you realize that the seat you're in right now has been prayed over, and God brought you here for a reason so that you wouldn't just hear a sermon preached to the body of Christ, but that you would hear a sermon preached to your specific season of life where you are right now? That's a blessing, like to be a part of this is sacred. And that's what I prayed for, for our culture, that we would be in awe that we have the chance to be a part of something greater than ourselves. That that's how far God has gone to provide for you and me. That when I was 21 years old, he didn't just send me a church. He sent me the church's college ministry (laughs) to be a specific group of people that I could do life with. So when you walk in those doors on a Monday night, I pray you have the same type of reverence, not for the view, but for the fact that you get to worship with other people your age and your season of life and hear the word preached directly to you. You're worried about finances? You're in the right place. Let's talk about it. God's word has an answer. You're worried if you're ever going to get married? Let's talk about it. God's word has an answer. If you're worried about what you're going to do with your career and if you're picking the right degree and if you're on the right path, you're in the right place. None of us really know. We're just following the Lord. Amen. Brother Steve says he don't have a five-year plan. He has a five-minute plan, and that's a follow the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Moses didn't have a five-year plan. He was just following a fire by day and smoke by night. At the opposite, smoke by day and fire by night. <laughs> it's kind of hard to see smoke at night. <laughs> to be in awe, to not rush, to sit in this seat, to take notes, to enjoy hearing God's word. Not me, God's word. It's special. To gather. Not thinking about homework. Not thinking about who's around us, but being here. So let me give you this. A, don't rush God's presence. The most sacred thing is the Lord himself, holy, righteous, sovereign. There's so many characteristics that make up the nature of God. We talked 
On social media, on one of our posts, that 1 John 4 says, 1 John 4, verse 8 says that God is love. His very nature, his very being is love. That everything that comes from him flows from his nature and his being, which is love. He doesn't just love, he is love. In the Old Testament now, God's glory is shown in a lot of ways when his presence dwells among the people. I would have loved to witness this scene I'm about to read to you. Sean, I know you would too, man. I would have loved to see this with my own eyes. I couldn't imagine it. And it's at the dedication of the temple. This is 1 Chronicles 7, verses 1 to 4. Now, think about witnessing this with your own eyes, seeing something like this happen when it comes to the sacredness of God's presence. It says this, 1 Chronicles 7, 1 to 4, the dedication of the temple. When Solomon finished praying, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Can we go back? I don't think I'm done with this verse yet. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Some of us read that and we're like, cool. That's the creator of the heavens and the earth making himself known to his creation. The temple was the intervention between heaven and earth. That's how God allowed us on earth to experience that which is in heaven. Right? Fire came down and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. It goes on to say this. The priests were not able to enter the Lord's temple because the glory of the Lord filled the temple. All the Israelites were watching when the fire descended and the glory of the Lord came on the temple. They bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. They worshiped and praised the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. All God's people said, amen. Amen. I can't imagine watching this happen. My heart would have been pounding. Would your heart have been pounding if you had seen that? Or would we have been on our phone? I mean, good thing it won 2023. We would have missed it, right? I mean, seriously, like my heart would have been pounding. I would have been sweating. I would have been nervous. I would have been scared. I would have fell on my ground, on the ground. I think you would too if you witnessed that. And the New Testament describes something even greater, right? Like that's amazing. The New Testament describes something greater when you talk about the presence of God. Look at this. This is Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 19 to 22, Paul says, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Now, wait a minute. Let's make a connection here. This is really cool. Tonight, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon says, Guard your steps when you approach the house of God, right? When you are going near the house of God. Well, now if you're a believer, Paul says, It's greater than that. You're a member of the house. (laughs) Come on in. Welcome. Like, you belong here. Like, this is where you fit in because you were created by God, so he knows you better than anybody else. You are a member of the house. (laughs) So you guarded your steps. Come on in. You're a part of this family. You get to know the creator of the heavens and the earth. Old Testament to New Testament. Paul says you're a member of the household of God. You belong here. You have a place. You have a home built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now that's incredible. Temple. Fire. Glory of the Lord. In him, you are also being built together, together for God's dwelling in the spirit. I'd give anything to see what happened at the temple, but today's even better. You and I are literally a part of the temple itself. You and I are a part of the temple itself today in the New Testament. Your body is a temple of the living God. Paul says it. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16 to 17, it builds one more step. Some of you know this. Do, not, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Whew. And that's stout. That's stout. My mom and dad are here tonight. They've said some stuff to me when I got in trouble that was stout, right? Your parents ever tell you something stout? That word, like bitter, sour, like it hurts to hear, right? Like, hey, if you do this. There's some punishment coming. Like, I knew what was right and wrong. And God's word says, anyone who destroys the temple, God will destroy him. That means sacred. The temple is sacred, which means if you're a believer, God's spirit is living in you, which means if you are a believer, you are viewed as sacred to God. Goes on to say this. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. All God's people said, now think back to the scene when fire, Hannah, came down and filled the temple. If you were there, PJ, if I was there, would you take a sledgehammer to the temple and start destroying it, Grace? I wouldn't. I'd be face down on the ground. Why? I just, Ryan, saw fire come from heaven and fill the temple. I realized that temple is sacred. I'm not going to do anything to mistreat it. We would all say, hey, if I'm standing there looking at the temple and it was that sacred, I'm not taking a sledgehammer to it. Yet why do we so quickly mistreat our own temple? Mmm. Because we don't take a sledgehammer to the temple in the Old Testament, but we sure are quick to gossip from our bodies about somebody while God is watching. Somebody else's temple, somebody else's life, somebody else who is made in the image of God. We so quickly slander. Why? Because we don't realize the awe and the reverence that comes with the Holy Spirit dwelling in me and the fact that the person sitting next to you on your left and your right was created in God's image. We don't understand the reverence for that. We don't view it as sacred because we don't, really, we don't view God as sacred, so we're never going to view his creation as sacred. So we treat it however we want to treat it. You wouldn't take a such hammer to the temple. I wouldn't either. And why do we gossip? Why do we lie? Why do we slander? Why do we treat other people the way that we do we cut down the church. We cut down church leadership. We cut down pastors and directors. We cut down services. You see it on social media. We cut down the body of Christ when we gossip or when we talk bad about them. We cut down sermons. I'll tell you a quote I heard. It said, today we criticize things we don't like in services and sermons the same way we would critique a movie star's performance or a sports team's loss. I'm not talking about bad, false theology. We've got to call out that false theology. If you hear me say something that's false theology, come up and talk to me. We'd love to have a conversation about it. I'm talking about preferences, preferences that we will critique a leader or we will critique the church over a preference we have that is not foundational to the gospel or to God's word just because it makes us feel better. And what I love is I'm, I'm just a member of the church. Too. I love, man, I'm not the pastor of Bellevue. I'm the pastor of the view, but what's that? I've been the pastor for three years. I won't be the pastor my whole life. I'm saying that as a member of the church. I'm tempted to cut down God's creation and that which God has said is sacred until I realize the reverence and the awe that comes with it. And so, man, if you're here and you've done that before, repent, turn to the Lord, and I promise you, he will forgive you and renew you and give you a heart that is softened to his word. 
But I want you to understand that your body is the temple of the living God. Then God says that that is sacred. Don't rush being in God's presence. It'll cause you to worship yourself. When you go to worship the Lord or pray with a heart that isn't seeking the Lord, who are you and I really worshiping? We end up worshiping ourselves. This is why we pause. This is why when you come in on Monday night, we don't rush. Like we slow down. We realize that, hey, this is sacred to be here, to worship, to be in a building where the church gathers because we are the church. And how you talk about people and how you treat people makes a big difference. Now let me give you a couple more very quickly. B, don't rush godly relationships. Don't rush godly relationships. Solomon talks a lot about words and how we use those. One of my favorite verses is Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. It says, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. That in this place, when we gather, we have the chance to experience godly relationships with each other. But how that comes, look at this, is that we have to put on love, which means we have to do away with bitterness which means we have to do away with our own agendas. We have to do away with selfish ambition, right? We have to do away with that. And we, when we gather, when we come in here on Monday nights, or when you gather at Bellevue, or when you gather with your home church, or when you're around people, that you put on love, that you love in a way, Stevie, that is different than the world, different than how the world loves. And when that happens, when you and I put on love, it binds everything together in perfect harmony. When God really wants to do something special here on a Monday night, it's going to be when we as a group of people decide to love each other in a way that is supernatural, lays us out our own preferences, because all your preferences ain't going to line up with my preferences, and my preferences ain't going to line up with your preferences. And we lay us out our own dreams and goals and say, the ultimate reason I'm here is to be a part of something greater than me. It is not about me. It is about Jesus Christ. And I'm going to love every single person around me with that kind of love. When that happens, a supernatural bond occurs. A supernatural bond. But you can't fake it. You can't force it. Let me give you a couple more very quickly. C, don't rush your words. Solomon's very clear on this. And I want to give you a few cross-references that I want to make sure you go home with tonight. See, don't rush your words. John 1 tells us that Jesus is the word. God values words. It says this in James 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Proverbs 10, verse 19 says, When, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is prudent. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. And I love this. Jeremiah, he says this in chapter 20. When he desires to stop speaking on the Lord's behalf, 
He says this, for whenever I speak, I cry out. I proclaim violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has become my constant disgrace and derision. I say I won't mention him or speak any longer in his name. But his message, look at this, becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. I become tired of holding it in and I cannot prevail. That Jeremiah was burning so much to deliver the words that God had given him as a prophet in the Old Testament that he could not shut up talking about the Lord. You know, when we get our own words out of the way, God will fill us with the words we need to use. When we get our own selfish talk out of the way, God will give us the words. And the last thing I have that I want to end on is D, don't rush experiencing a small piece of heaven. Don't rush God's presence. Don't rush godly relationships. Don't rush your words. God says that these are sacred. And how you guard your steps when you go to worship the Lord is you don't rush experiencing a small piece of heaven. What's so amazing, and I I really do pray that, man, you would not forget this, that this would stick with you just in the slightest of some way. But the, the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in your body and you are the temple means how does God now interact from heaven with this earth through you? You are sacred. That through you, through your words, through your relationships, through the spirit in you, that you would bring heaven down to this earth. And what I love in Revelation, when you talk about sacred, is that you and I have a part in Revelation. And it really is beautiful. Can I show you just two things? Two things. And I promise you, like, guys, it's so special when you think about how you and I have such a part in God's kingdom. Look at this, if you will. This is Revelation chapter 5. Worship is occurring, and you and I are mentioned here. It says this, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, Jesus, the sacrificial Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. There you are. In that moment, in Revelation, did you miss it? You're there. I'm there. The golden bowls full of incense are where your prayers are in Revelation. That as this worship is occurring, your prayers are what are going up. The prayers of the saints before the Lamb. And then it says this in 513. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Could we at all possibly, we don't do this often, but could we say this quote together? Could we say this right now together, if you will, starting with to him, say this with me, here we go. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And all God's people said, Can you imagine worshiping the Lord for all eternity and him surrounding you with his presence, never being separated from it ever? Can you imagine the greatness and the glory of that? And yet God loves you so much to put his spirit inside of you so that you get to be the church. That's why it's not just the service. 
We could stay here for six hours talking about all there is to Christ and his bride. But let me tell you, where you are right now is not just a service. There is something supernatural happening in this room. And it's not something crazy. It's not something weird. But I just want you to understand, I'm not crazy, but I have experienced a life change through Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, here's what's happening in the room right now. God is working on your heart and he is working on my heart. And he has been working on it far before you ever stepped inside those doors. Hear this as clearly as I can say. There is something supernatural when we enter in God's presence. Tonight, you are in God's presence. Right now, if you are a believer, God's presence is living inside of your body. That there is something supernatural at play. That we are not animals. That we did not just show up here. We did not just happen. We were created. And we were created with a purpose. Your life has a purpose. Some of you love, love, love not being a Christian like I did at 21. Some of you here, and you are not a Christian, and you are proud of it, but let me tell you something. I used to be proud of it until I realized what the Bible actually said about Christianity, and my life changed forever, that I have value, and I have worth, and I have a purpose, and I have a place, and my prayers are being heard, and I have a chance for all eternity to make great the name of Jesus Christ, and that on this earth, I can experience heaven, and that heaven is coming through me because God's presence dwells in me, And then when I realized that, I was like, why did I believe all these misconceptions about there's only hypocrites in the church? Of course there are. We all are. Every single one of us. And yet that's who God wants here. Those who are sick, those who are broken, those who are sinners, so that we can find the one who is sinless. It's not just a service. And for some of you, man, this might be weird to hear. You might be like, man, I, I don't know what he's talking about. You can. By knowing Jesus personally. But I, I can't give an invitation yet until I tell you that God's presence is the realest thing that we can ever experience. And if God is working on your heart right now, it's not me. It's not a speaker. It's not a sermon. There's no music playing. It's not about emotions. But you know what God is working on your heart about right now. I don't have to fill in the blanks. I don't have to give you a bunch of scenarios. You know. Because God's presence is real and he is moving. And that is what we get to experience when we seek him and when we gather. Here's a question for you. When we end this service... Does all this just stop here? Like, is this it, Cam? Like, is this it? Do we just get really excited? We preach from God's word. We share the gospel. We talk about all these things. And then the minute we're done worshiping, it's like, all right, well, I got to hit the door. I got to go on to my week. I'll see you next week. Or does what happened in this room right here carry with us? Does it change us just a little bit? Does it change you? Does it change me? Does it at all affect us when we wake up tomorrow morning and put our feet on the ground and begin the day? When you go home and you're tempted to sin because you got your phone and you got access to everything. When you leave and you're tempted to gossip or talk bad about the speaker, like, man, he did not look good in that jacket. Or you're tempted to say whatever, to complain about your car because it won't start. Like when you're tempted, does what happened in this room change you at all to say, you know what? I'm not going to live that way no more. I'm going to follow after Christ because I didn't just go experience a service I experience the presence of God, and it's not because of a pastor. I don't have that kind of power. I'm the same as you. I experience the presence of God because you drew near to him, and God's word says when you draw near to God, God draws near to you. 
That's what we get to experience. Whatever your view of church is, it's so much more when you study in Scripture. And I pray that you won't take somebody else's perception of church or ministry and adopt that as your own without doing your own research. God loves you. In a room this big, there's somebody that doesn't know Jesus. Like as great as we just talked about those, that worship that we saw in Revelation, like if you don't know Jesus, you don't spend eternity with him in heaven. And I know it's unpopular. I know it is. But heaven and hell are real. That is eternity on the line. I'm going to heaven. But not because of my works, not because of anything I've done, not because I've been a good person. When I joined Bellevue, they said, hey, if God asks you why he should let you into heaven, what should you say? I looked him in the face, and I said, I tried to be a good person. He looked at me and said, eh, ain't going to cut it. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> the only reason I'm going to heaven is because I know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, Sam. That's the only reason I have trusted him. Do you know that? I'm not scaring you. We're eyeball to eyeball. I'm not that scary to look at. But I'll tell you. It's real. And if you don't know that, like even coming here tonight on a, ser on a sermon that's about, it's not just a service, God is probably putting it on your heart to talk to somebody. Like we're going to be real honest tonight. Some of you guys, some of this has been uncomfortable for you. Praying with somebody, this sermon, some of you guys are like, man, wow. Well, good, praise God. <laughs> because why? We should guard our steps when we enter the presence of God.